my wife's family, those of you that have been here in our Thursday night prayer meetings know that we've had consistent prayer for my wife's sister's husband. He passed away uh, Friday, and uh, we're going to be headed out for that funeral tomorrow. But we do ask for your prayers for the family and uh, ask that God would give them peace and comfort during this time. Amen. Brother Goff is going to be taking care of the service Tuesday night. In fact, he's going to be here with us tonight, and I appreciate that. I covet your prayers as well. Um, as you know, generally it takes me about two weeks to recover from my trips to Africa. It was one week yesterday. I'm just not doing a whole lot better after a week than I was, and um, I really need the Lord to touch me, and now here we are going to jump on a plane and be gone again. Another whirlwind week of travel. And uh, so I really, really need your prayers. I need God to help me and strengthen me, and I know that he will. He's been faithful. Amen. He's a faithful God. He is a faithful God. He can be depended on. He can be trusted. Amen. And uh, I do have my faith and confidence in him, and I am believing him that he's going to help us. Praise God. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. This has been our text for the last several weeks, and we're going to go back again to these verses in Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 1 through 3, and uh, we will continue on in this study today. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Amen. And so, once again, we have read to you the Apostles' outline of the foundational truths upon which the church of the living God is built. And among those foundational truths, he mentions in verse 2 the doctrine of baptisms. And we have pointed out to you in the past the reason why this word is plural. And uh, it is because of the fact that you must be born of water and of spirit. And so you're baptized in water and you're baptized with the Holy Ghost. And uh, this is the doctrine of baptisms. And we'll deal with um, the baptism of the Holy Ghost in a future lesson, but we're going to continue on with our study of baptism in water. Amen. And uh, I think this is 
part five in our study, if I'm not mistaken. And so we're going to continue on. I don't think I'm going to finish today. I don't see how I can, uh, seeing that I still have 16 pages of notes to cover. So we'll still be at it for a while. But uh, we're going to we're going to go on, and again, I'm going to try to give you everything that I have in my notes, which is something I have not done in the past. We've kind of skipped through and given you highlights, but I want to try to cover everything that is in my notes uh, as we go through this lesson. I want you fully equipped. Amen. It disturbs me to find apostolics who do not know how to explain our doctrine. It really does. Uh, these things ought not so to be. If the only scripture you can point people to is Acts 2.38, it's time to pick up your Bible and study some more. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And so we're going to try to help you. We're going to try to give you tools. As I've said, once this is finished and when I uh, finally have some free time, I don't know when that's going to be. I'm starting to believe what Bishop Howard said. He said, we'll rest when we die. And uh, I'm about to start believing that. Um, but anyhow, um, sometime when I get some time, I will start trying to combine all of these notes and give you a full set of my notes and, uh, and let you have that for your study purposes. Amen. In the meantime, why don't we put our Bibles down? Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our voices. Let's ask the Lord to talk to us today. Could we do that together, everyone? Let's pray together. Jesus. worship the Lord one more time everybody can we do that let's worship him together I praise you Jesus I thank you Jesus God we love you we worship you God we magnify you we glorify you I thank you Savior I praise you Savior Jesus name in Jesus name Praise God, praise God, praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. I, um, I need to take a few moments to review, but I don't want to spend a lot of time because I do still have so much ground to cover. But I just would remind you that inasmuch as baptism is a part of our foundation, it is essential that we understand it and know it. Amen. The foundation being such a vital part of any structure. 
and we need we need to have a solid foundation amen praise god and uh we need to understand i'm telling you one of the things that that i really felt like the lord accomplished while i was in africa this last time is that some of these men some of these men finally got a revelation of the fact that there is only one way to be saved now i know i know that that to you you think they should get that when they get a revelation of jesus name baptism but but you have to understand that for many of these folks they've been teaching and preaching other things all their life and uh, and their friends and their family members and everybody they respect uh, has been teaching something different and so many of them see that the scripture teaches this doctrine but seeing that it's the only acceptable doctrine is something altogether different and they got a revelation many of them got a real revelation of that fact and I'm telling you that's what's needed to happen now some of them had a revelation already but some of them got a revelation and they have they left that meeting fired up and ready and excited to take this message to everybody and uh, and to start proclaiming this message and I thank God for that amen if the foundation is not right the building is in trouble and I'm telling you I don't care I don't care how large the church is I don't care how likable the pastor is I don't care how many members call it their home church if it's not on the foundation that is described in Hebrews chapter 6 it's not on the right foundation and it is therefore not the Lord's church he has only one church I, I, I'm, I'm not talking about denominations or organizations but I'm telling you he has only one church and if it's not built on the right foundation, it's not the right church. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Now, we, we've, we've spent some time talking about water baptism from uh, the scriptures. And the first few weeks we dealt with uh, whether or not baptism was necessary for salvation. We took you through scriptures. We showed you the commands of Jesus himself. We showed you the commands of the apostle Peter. We gave you many witnesses to the fact that this is not just an outward sign of an inward grace and that's what many churches are teaching today that water baptism is simply your public statement of faith but it's not necessary for you to be saved I'm telling you that that nothing could be further from the truth the Bible's very clear amen it's very clear that if you're not born of water you're not going to enter the kingdom of God that's not my opinion that's what the Bible says Amen. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And we cannot take that word and and change it to or. Amen. It, it is stated the way that it's stated. And we have to accept it as 
the truth. We then went into the Old Testament. We spent a week uh, going through Old Testament scriptures and showing you the typology of the Old Testament and how this has been God's plan from the very beginning. It's been a three-phase plan from the very start. When you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, God's showing you there are three parts to salvation. It's not just accept the Lord as your personal Savior. It's not just believe on the Lord and you're saved. But there is always a death, a burial, and a resurrection. That's been God's plan from the very start. Hallelujah. Amen. And we've shown that. We showed you through the Old Testament types. And then we spent some time talking about, in fact, this is where we finished up last week, but we spent some time talking about uh, the proper mode of baptism, that baptism must be by complete immersion in water. It cannot be done by sprinkling. Sprinkling was a later addition that came hundreds of years after the death of the apostles. The very Greek word itself uh, means to immerse. It, you, you cannot say baptism by immersion. That's like saying that blackbird is white. You can't do that. It's, it's not. It's either a black bird or a white bird, but it can't be both. And you can't have baptism by sprinkling because baptism means immersion. And so to say I was baptized by sprinkling is to say I was immersed by sprinkling. And you can't do that can't do that. We also showed it is a burial and you can't bury someone by sprinkling dirt on them. It requires a complete and total immersion in water. Now we're going to start today in um, another part of this, another aspect of baptism as we want to talk about the proper formula of baptism. Uh, we want to talk about the right way to go about it. Not only must you be immersed, but you must be immersed properly. Now, I'm not going to try to get into a science lesson today. I'm not a science teacher. I feel much more comf uh, comfortable uh, talking about grammar than I do about science. There's just a whole lot about science that I don't understand and don't know. But I can give you a very basic illustration today, amen, that uh, we... we come to understand that an improper formula can have disastrous results. When you're dealing with chemicals, if you use the wrong chemicals, you don't follow the, the uh, formula properly, you end up in trouble. I, uh, now look, I'm, I'm no better at cooking than I am at science, so you don't really want me to get into that either. But I think those of you who cook know that you can follow the recipe incorrectly and end up with a disaster. What was supposed to be a very tasty meal can end up being something that nobody enjoys. All because you didn't follow the recipe. Hallelujah. When, when we get back into the realm of chemicals, let me just show you an example. If you were to take one part oxygen and mix it with two parts hydrogen, you come up with H. 2O, which is water, a necessary part of our life. But if you add to that mix one part carbon, you come up with CH2O, which is formaldehyde. And I don't think anybody wants to drink formaldehyde. 
if you get the recipe, the formula wrong, you end up with trouble. Amen. If you take the hydrogen out of that, then you get carbon monoxide and that can kill you. We've just gone from that which sustains life to that which removes life all by making a few changes to the formula. Hallelujah. If you double the oxygen in that uh, carbon monoxide, you end up then with carbon dioxide. Again, I'm just telling you that just a few minor changes make a huge difference. And so it is with scriptural formulas, scriptural recipes, if you please. you got to do it the way the Bible tells you to do it. Hallelujah. Amen. There is only one way to get to heaven. Uh, we've dealt with this, but let me just put it back on the wall one more time. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, I want you to notice something. He said, I am the way. I'm not a way as though there are many and this is one choice. I am the way. Church, look, I, I hope that I don't have to say this to this congregation, but, but uh, sometimes repetition does us good. I want us to understand God is a very exclusive God. He wants everybody to be saved, but he has provided one way for us to make it, and we either follow his way or we're lost. It's that simple. As much as I want the whole world to be saved, it's not going to be. Only those who follow God's plan are going to be saved. Jesus said not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But those that do the will of my father. And the will of his father is what's written in this book. And so if you don't obey this book, you're not going to be saved. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, we've already discussed how important baptism is. Let us, let us look at the proper formula to be used for water baptism. Let's go to, to Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Acts 19, verses 1 through 6. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, now I, want you to, I want you to pay attention to this. Paul comes upon a group of believers. Everyone say believers. These are believers. By the, church's, by, by the church world's definition, these people were saved. Because the church says that's, I mean, the church world says that's all that's necessary. You just believe. And when you believe, you're saved. 
But the Apostle Paul had two very important questions for these believers. The first question he asked was, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Or some translations say, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? I don't care which way you translate it, but the fact remains that just because you believe does not mean you have the Spirit of God in you. It is a separate, distinct experience from believing. Paul said, have you received the Holy Ghost? There's more than believing. You've got to receive. And then they said, we haven't even heard if there was a Holy Ghost. And so he asked them a question. Well, then tell me how you were baptized, which shows me that Paul thinks Paul feels like Paul understands that anybody who's a real believer is going to be baptized. Amen. He didn't ask him, have you been baptized? He asked him how you were baptized. Are you understanding? He, he's not, he's not asking them whether they've been baptized. He took it for granted. You tell me you're believers, then evidently you got baptized. And so then he asked, how was it done? And they said, unto John's baptism. Now, they're talking, of course, about John the Baptist. And, uh, you know, Jesus made a statement uh, one time. He said, of those that are born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Do you know Jesus said that? Three of you know that. Let me tell the rest of you. Jesus one time said, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist among all those born of women. Now you know it. All right, good. I'm glad you know that. So if John the Baptist was the greatest ever to be born of women outside of Jesus himself, and John the Baptist baptized you, wouldn't you feel pretty comfortable with your baptism? Wouldn't you feel like, I, you know, I got baptized by the very best. Uh, there's just, there's, there's no way you can question my baptism. It's like a, a, a man, well, the man that I debated on the radio, I used to hear him talk about he was baptized in the Jordan River as though that really made a big difference, you know. That uh, where he was baptized seemed to make all the difference to him. But I don't care where it was done. I want to know how it was done. That's what Paul asked. He didn't ask these people, where then were you baptized? But he said, how were you baptized? And they said, we were baptized by John the Baptist. And Paul said, well, John, verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. So that's great. We know they've repented. John didn't baptize just everybody. You do know that, right? He didn't baptize just everybody. There were those who came to him wanting to be baptized, and he said, prove it to me. Prove to me that you've repented. Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. And so they had to prove to him that they had fully repented, and then he would baptize him. So I'm, I feel safe in saying these people that Paul's talking to had fully repented. But repentance was not enough. And John's baptism was not enough. Because Paul said John verily baptized with a baptism of repentance. But John also said to the people, you need to believe on the one that's coming after John that is on Christ Jesus. And then verse 5, when they heard this, 
Can you put verse 5 up there for me, please? Verse 5, when they heard this, they were still waiting, still waiting. Verse 5, when they heard this, Acts 19, verse 5. Hallelujah. Slow computer or slow operator or both. There we go. All right. When they heard this, they were what? Now, wait a minute. They've already been baptized. If, if the way that you're baptized does not matter, why did these people have to get baptized again? If it doesn't matter, why did they have to go to the water a second time? I submit to you, it does matter what's said when you're baptized. In fact, I submit to you, and this is what I've told people literally all around the world, if you don't know what was said, you better go and have it done again. All right. Because I can promise you this much, anybody that baptizes in the name of Jesus, they make a big deal out of it. And if they didn't make a big deal out of it, they probably didn't baptize you in the name of Jesus. I've had a lot of folks say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, then let's make sure you know. I'd much rather stand before God on judgment day and have him say, you know, you got baptized twice the right way. Than to have him say, you didn't get baptized the right way at all. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. And so they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's look at, because as soon as I start teaching about the importance of baptism in the name of Jesus, people always want to take me to Matthew 28. And so we're going to go there today. Now, you know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I taught on baptism, for instance, in this last conference. Baptism was the subject I taught on the second day. We had people who didn't show up till the third day. They started hearing questions. They started hearing things said. And so then when we opened the floor for questions, they want to know, what about Matthew 28, 19? Well, I, I discussed that the day before. If you'd have come to church like you're supposed to, you'd have heard it. But, but anyhow... I don't say it that way, but that's what I'm thinking. Um, but I do let them know it's already been addressed. But I inevitably end up addressing it again for those who don't show up till the last day. Amen. But uh, So let's talk about Matthew 28, verse 19. Uh, let's just start with verse 19. I know I've got down uh, to start before that, but let's start with verse 19. What did Jesus say? Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And so for some people, this is all they need. That settles the issue. Jesus said this, so this is it. Now, here's the problem. We've got to interpret Scripture properly. We've got to rightly divide the word of truth. Right? Yeah. Right? we got to rightly divide the word of truth. And you can't start in the middle of a, of a conversation and know what's going on in that conversation. I'm telling you, I've had people get mad because they walked into the middle of a conversation and thought that someone was talking about them. You know, some people would be so disappointed to learn that others don't think of you nearly as much as you think they do. They really, really, you're not the topic of conversation as frequently as you think you are. All right? 
But anyhow, be that as it may, this is not the beginning of this conversation. In fact, there is a word here that I want you to notice, and uh, I want you to see it. I want you to, 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 to focus on it. He said, he said, my battery's dead in my laser pointer. He said, go ye. Is anybody reading this? Go ye. Thank you. Go ye therefore. The word therefore means because of what was just said. Now I've often said it this way. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it is there for. Alright? Always. The word therefore means something has just been said upon which I'm basing the next statement. Now hear me church, this is crucial, this is vital, because he's saying everything I'm about to tell you is based on what I just told you. So there's no way you know what this verse means if you don't know what he just said. So let's find out what he just said. Back up to verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, All power is, given unto is shared by me and to others. Given. That's not what he said? No. All power is what? Given. Given unto me. Unto me. me. Singular. All power in heaven and in earth is mine. Now that's what he says in verse 18. Then we get to verse 19 and he says, Go ye therefore. Why? Why are you supposed to do what he's about to tell you to do? Because he's the one who has all power. All right? Are you following me? So he said, I'm the one with all power in heaven and in earth. And because I'm the one with all power in heaven and in earth, go. Go because of this fact. And teach all nations. And baptize them in the name. Of what? Well, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But again, I say to you, how much sense does it make for Jesus to proclaim in verse 18, I'm the one who has all power. And then in verse 19 say, go and baptize in my name and two other names. That doesn't make any sense. That's not even logical. There's got to be another way that we can interpret this verse of Scripture. And there is. Now look, I'm not going to get into this too much because I don't want to boggle everyone's mind. And, and um, if it boggles your mind, then let's sit down and talk about it and see if I can unboggle it, all right? But, but we do know, we do know. I think most all of us here today know and understand where the doctrine of the Trinity came from. Do we know? Right. It came from the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church in 325 AD met at the Council of Nicaea and defined the Godhead as three co-equal persons. Now, they did this as a result of the quote-unquote conversion of Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome. Are you following me? Constantine was the emperor of Rome and claimed to get converted to Christianity. 
He then wanted to take Christianity and the pagan idolatry of the Romans and blend them into one religion. So the Romans could accept it and the Christians could accept it. Are, are, you, are you still with me? Listen, that's the reason why there are so many pagan connections to much of what is called Christianity today. I don't deny the fact that December 25th was most likely not the day that Jesus was born. I don't deny that fact. And I've never tried to teach this church that is his birthday. It is the day we celebrate his birth. I don't know when his birthday was. And anybody else, if I adopted a child and the birth certificate was missing, I'd pick a day. I wouldn't tell them this is your birthday, but I would say this is the day we're going to celebrate it. All right? Now, Constantine decided he wanted to take days based on paganism and incorporate them into Christianity. And he did. December 25th being one of those days. Now, again, I don't preach against celebrating Christmas. In fact, I'm almost at the opposite extreme. I almost preach you have to. <laughs> I don't, but I almost do. Um, I believe it's hypocritical for people to celebrate their own birthday and not pick a day and celebrate the Lord's. We, look, Calvary would never have happened had it not been for his birth. He had to be born as a man. I saw, I saw uh, where someone posted um, about um, his birth, his death, and, and, uh, or his birth, his resurrection, and uh, Pentecost. And they said that uh, without Pentecost, the other two are meaningless. And that's true. But I really wanted to respond that without the other two, Pentecost was impossible. Without his birth and his resurrection, we wouldn't have a Holy Ghost. Right. So we can't really just pick one day and, and throw the others away. But anyhow, I'm way off the subject. Here's, here's what I'm trying to tell you. So Constantine wanted to create a religion that would be acceptable by both the pagans in Rome and the Christians in Rome. And so he started pushing a concept of God that was really polytheist. It was really more than one God. But he knew he couldn't get the Christians to accept that there was more than one God. So they came up with this philosophy, this idea that there is only one God, but he's three different persons. Which is um, ridiculous. But that was the idea. And so, as a part of trying to promote this concept of a three-person Godhead, they wanted then to start using a formula of baptism that reflected the three-person Godhead. And they'll tell you, the Catholic Church will tell you, they're the ones who started using the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for baptism. 
That's their baptism. It didn't happen until the Catholic Church started doing it. Now, here's what I said that might boggle your mind, and if it does, come talk to me and let me try to unboggle it. I think all of you know, I, I, I believe in, I trust, I use the King James Version of our Bible. I believe it's the closest to the original that we can get. All right? Everybody knows that. But I also know that the men who translated the Bible for King James were not divinely inspired like those who wrote it. And those who translated it put their own philosophies and ideas into it, okay? Now, um, so, so please don't, this is where I'm really trying to be very cautious about it, but I've been doing some research and I, I found some interesting things, even by those who don't preach baptism in Jesus' name. But there are historians and scholars um, who just on a literary basis have come to the conclusion that the wording in our English Bible, a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, is not what the original wording was. That that's not even what Matthew actually wrote. All right, now I just boggled minds, but, but anyhow. And here's the reason why. There, we, we currently have no manuscripts that are older than the Council of Nicaea. All right, every Greek manuscript we have is after Nicaea, at least the ones we know about. I think the Catholic Church has a lot of them they don't want to release because it disproves too much of their doctrine. All right, but, but we do have we do have the writings of certain historians who existed prior to the Council of Nicaea. Now, are you with me? Those historians, when they quote Matthew 28, 19, every one of them quote it as baptizing in the name of Jesus. But after 325 A.D., Every manuscript we have says Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, here's what, here's what the scholars are saying. There's no place in the Bible Jesus ever spoke those words, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He never spoke that. He never said that. There's nowhere he ever made a triune reference. This is the only place that it appears anywhere in the New Testament. Are you with me? And so the scholars say it doesn't even line up with the rest of Scripture. Now, again, if I need to unboggle your minds, come talk to me. I'm not trying to put a doubt in your mind for the Word of God. I believe in the Word of God. And the beauty of what we do have. God knew what was going to happen. God knew the manuscripts that would be destroyed. God knew all of that. And you know, somehow, he gave us enough Scripture that even if that is what the original said, we can still prove what was meant. Amen. So I don't have to go back and find original manuscripts. Amen. Because I can take that and show you from the Bible what it really means. Man is not smart enough to outwit God. 
Hallelujah. God knows what he's doing. So let's look at this now for just a moment. Let's consider this. Let's talk about this. There are some things that I want you to know and to realize. First of all, he said, go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. There is no S. And, and I've gone, I've traveled, as I said, I've traveled to the other side of the world. I've had them read it for me in their language. I've asked them specifically the word name here in your Bible, in your language. Is it singular or is it plural? And in every case without exception, it's singular. There's only one name. All right? So notice that. In the name not names. Secondly, notice that it says in the name, not titles. Because father is not a name. It's a title. Right? It's not a name, it's a title. So here's what I do. This is what I do. When I, when I go to Africa and I teach these seminars, I just get out in the, in the midst of the crowd and I'll walk up to one of the men and I'll ask him, are, are you a father? Okay, it's very nice to meet you, brother father. And they do exactly what he did. They laugh. So, well, you just told me you're a father. He says, yes, but that's not my name. Okay, that's the title. That's the position you hold. But that's not your name. Then I'll ask him, are you a son? You better tell me yes. We don't want any gender identity issues around here, all right? So, so I say, are you a son? They say yes. So I'll shake their hand again and say, it's nice to meet you, brother son. No, 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 no. That's not my name. That's what I am, but it's not who I am. I said, thank you very much. Because father is not a name. And Jesus didn't say use the title. He said use the name. You got to find the name. And this is the next thing I want you to. I'm going to come back to that. But the next thing. Oh, I wish this laser pointer was working. I don't know how it, it went out. But anyhow. Oh, there it goes. Thank you, Jesus. Recharged my batteries. All right. So. I want you to notice something here. I need some. I need a battery recharger. If anybody's got one. I. I'm telling you what, I need a battery recharger. Bad, bad, bad. Especially by the evening time, I'm needing one. All right, here's what I want you to see. Baptizing them in the name. You see that word right there? You know, I've stressed, sometimes the smallest words make the biggest difference. Because what this says is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of of the Holy Ghost. Uh, here's where we get into our grammar lesson, where I feel more comfortable uh, teaching, but feel uncomfortable making you sit through the teaching. But we're going to go there because I said I want to get it all out in all of my notes. All right, I want to show you there is a vast difference between saying in the name Father and in the name of the Father. So there was, there was a, uh, a well-known televangelist uh, who was later caught with a um, prostitute in a motel. Um, uh, but before all that came out, he wrote a book about the error, this was the title of his book, The Error of the Jesus-Only Doctrine. 
And in his book, he, he, um, he stated that father is a name. So you see, well, I won't say it, but anyhow. Uh, he stated that father is a name. Let's just go off of that premise. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. We all know it's not true. But if it were, here's what I want you to see. He did not say baptizing them in the name Father, but in the name of the Father. There is a difference. In the Greek, this is what is called the genitive case. It means that it shows possession, something which belongs to another. Let me illustrate this. Bring up Luke chapter 3, verse 34. Which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of Thara, which was the son of Nacor. All right, now, just, just look at this for a minute, church. I don't, want to, I don't want you to get lost in this, all right? But I want you to look at this. When he says, which was the son of Jacob, we're talking about the son which belongs to Jacob. Right. If we take that word of out of there and we change it, from the genitive case to the nominative case, which is the, 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 the subject, uh, then this would become which was the son Jacob. Now there's a big difference between the son Jacob and the son of Jacob. The first, the son Jacob, would mean we're speaking about Jacob himself, but we're not. We're talking about the one who was Jacob's son. So it was something or someone who belonged to Jacob. You follow me? Which was the son of Isaac, not the son Isaac, the son of Isaac. Which was the son of Abraham, not the son Abraham. And I could go on and on throughout this list. This is just one of many to illustrate to you what the genitive case is all about. We are showing possession. So when Jesus said baptizing them in the name of of the father he did not mean use father as a name he meant find the name that belongs to the father right right see here's another thing i do in africa come here brother josh come come here I want to illustrate this for you. I want you to, I'm going to tell you what to do now, and I want you to do it, all right? All right. Go close the door. Go close the door. D did he do what I told him to do? Okay, let's try again. Go close the door. Go close the door. Did he obey me? We'll try one more time. Go close the door. All right, that's about the way he obeys anyhow. So, no, I'm just picking on him. Look, here's what I do. I'll ask those Africans, did this man obey me? What's the answer? What did he do? He repeated what I said, right? There's a difference between repetition and obedience. And when Jesus gave the command in Matthew 28, 19, he did not say repeat after me. 
I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He gave a command to baptize in the name of the Father. Amen. It is incumbent upon us to find out what the Father's name is. We cannot obey Matthew 28, 19 until we discover the Father's name. Right. Until we discover the Son's name. Until we discover the name of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Because Holy Ghost is not a name. Right. Amen. Right? Again. King James, we say Holy Ghost. The Greek word pneuma is spirit. Uh, I know that the wrong group started using Holy Spirit, and so we kind of shy away from that. We don't really like to use that terminology, but in the Greek, it, it really is accurate uh, to say Holy Spirit. But we don't talk about the Spirit as though that's a name, right? Right. We don't, we don't deal with a spirit and say spirit is his name. And the word holy is simply an adjective. Right. It describes that spirit. Right. So Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is not a name. It is a descriptive title. All right? So we got to find out what the name is. I, I tell them, look, I am, I am a husband. I am a father. I am a brother. I, I could go through a whole list. But if I give you a piece of property and I sign the title father, son, and brother, that signature is no good. It's missing something crucial. What's it missing? A name. There's got to be a name on it. It works the same in Africa as it does in America. you got to have a name on it before it's binding. And to simply say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you're not putting a name on it. It's not binding. Right. Hallelujah. So we got to find out what the name is. Let's go to John chapter 5 and verse 43 right. to find out the name of the Father. I am come in my father's I am come in my father's name. Now what name did he come in? Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. If he came in the name Jesus, but he came in his father's name, then what is the father's name? Jesus. The father's name is Jesus. What's the name of the son? Matthew 1 and 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. So the name of the son is? Jesus. The name of the father is Jesus. The name of the son is Jesus. What's the name of the Holy Ghost? John 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which the is the Comforter, Holy Ghost. Which is the Holy Ghost. Whom the Father will send, whom the in, father my will send in my name. So the Holy Ghost was sent in his name. What name was the Holy Ghost sent in? So the name of the father is? Jesus. The name of the Son is? Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost is? Jesus. I'm telling you that when Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, he was referring right back to what he had just said in verse 18. I'm the one that's got all power. Now go and baptize in that name. Yeah. Baptize in the name of the one who is the Father, the one who is the Son, the one who is the Holy Ghost. Right. 
In fact, many, many years ago, many years ago, uh, 30 years ago, I was teaching a pastor, a local pastor. I was pastoring in South Texas, and, and there was a local pastor uh, that had uh, uh, resigned his church and had started attending my church. He was a Trinitarian Pentecostal, and I started teaching him and his wife Bible studies every week. And uh, the next scripture that I'm going to give you, I'll never forget, was the scripture that when I read this, her eyes opened up and a smile came on her face. She said, I've never seen that before, but I understand it. And I want to know when can I be baptized in Jesus' name. This is Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, Of whom the, of whole, whom the whole family in, earth, in heaven and earth is named. There's only one name for the whole family in heaven and in earth. There's not three separate names. Right. There's only one name wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus that at the name of Jesus come on help me out here that at the name of Jesus Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven of things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Amen that's the name that's above every name. Amen. It's above Jehovah. Yes. It's above El Shaddai. Yes. It's above Adonai. Yes. It's above Elohim. Yes. Hallelujah. It's a name above every name. Yes. The name of Jesus. That's why the apostle said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is, neither there, salvation is there salvation. In other. In, listen to me. There is not salvation to be found in Jehovah the name. There's not salvation to be found in the name El Shaddai. There is not salvation to be found in the name Adonai. There is not salvation to be found in the name of Elohim. Are you hearing me today? Neither is there salvation in any other. Why? For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Now, when we, when we teach our seminars in Africa... Uh, we have just recently added a separate session. Uh, we've been referring to these things throughout uh, our other conferences, but I really felt like it was good for us to add a separate session altogether whereby we provide those preachers with uh, the right tools of Bible interpretation. And we go through a list of, of important things that you need to know if you're going to interpret the Bible Properly, first of all, there is no other uh, or there is no private interpretation. Right. Amen. All right. Does everybody understand that? That means you can't just come up with your own idea of what it means. Amen. We got to find out what God wants it to mean. There's no private interpretation. All right. Secondly, we call it solo scriptura. Now think about it for just a minute. Solo. You know what that means. Scriptura. You can kind of figure that out, right? Only scripture. What we mean by that is we're not interested in what the commentators have to say. 
We're not interested in what the quote-unquote church fathers have to say. We want to know what does the scripture say. And so we want to let scripture interpret scripture. Amen. Hallelujah. And then we also deal with the principle that there must be two or three witnesses. When we start to interpret a verse of scripture, and this is found, let's go ahead and put it up there, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 13 and 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So, it is a Bible principle, and in fact it started in the Old Testament. That that everything we're going to try to establish must have a minimum of two and hopefully at least three witnesses before we can really establish it as a fact. Are you with me? And so here's what I tell them. When you start interpreting scripture, if you can't find at least one more scripture that confirms the way you're interpreting this one, the scripture's not wrong, but your interpretation of the scripture is wrong. You've got to be able to find at least one more witness. Are you with me? Some of you are. We'll be done in a few minutes and you can go get lunch, but give me just a few minutes here. We have to have at least two witnesses to prove that we have the proper interpretation of Scripture. Okay? Now, the more witnesses we can get, the better we are. Amen. But we should never interpret a Scripture based only on the way we think that Scripture should be interpreted. We've got to be able to back that up somewhere else in the Bible. Amen. If you cannot find at least one more witness then your interpretation is wrong. So I asked them, can you give me a second witness for using the terms Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in baptism? Is there a second witness? Is there any place in the Bible where those terms are used connected with water baptism? Now, we know the answer to that, right? But I'm telling you, this is something that those preachers have never considered. They've been doing this strictly based on their tradition, and I'm telling you, it's something I don't think any preacher has ever really sat down and considered. They're doing this based upon strictly the tradition that has been handed to them, and they cannot find even one more witness. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me because I've had some come back and say, well, are you saying Matthew 28, 19 is wrong? No, I'm not saying the verse is wrong. I'm saying the way you're interpreting the verse is wrong. Right. Hallelujah. I'm telling you that there is only one way to interpret any verse of scripture and it has to be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And so you don't have two witnesses. 
to confirm that the proper interpretation is to repeat the Lord's words. Do I have two or three witnesses? I'm telling you that the way that verse ought to be interpreted, the way it ought to be interpreted is the name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Son is Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. Therefore, to obey Matthew 28, 19, you have to do it in the name of Jesus. Do I have at least two witnesses for that? Well, of course I do. Let's go through them very quickly. I've got 15 minutes. I can finish this in 15 minutes. We can go on to other things next week, the Lord willing. But, but let's go through it. In fact, I need you to stay awake. So I'm going to have you count for me. Can you do that? How high can you count? You can count to 10 without taking your shoes off. All right. He didn't know how much that was. He just said this many. <laughs> this is the man who wants to be an engineer. So he's going to draw up his plans and say it's going to be this many feet long. <laughs> and pictures of hands all along the way. All right. All right. So I'm, going to, I'm, I'm counting on you to count for me. You can do that. All right. So Acts chapter 2 verse 38. How many is this? Thank you. Get it up there so everybody can see it. Thank you. All right, Acts 2, 38 says this. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Acts chapter 8, verse 16. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they would... Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but in Jesus' name. How many does that give us? Oh, you're doing great so far. All right. All right. So then we go to Acts chapter 10 and verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized. He in the commanded name of the Lord. them to be baptized. And I like this because most of the time in, in the African translations, uh, when they read this for me, it, it is actually inserted. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. That is the way the original reads. It, they, they uh, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So how many do we have now? Now, I'm telling you, it only takes two witnesses to establish a doctrine. But I've just given you three. If you've got three, it's settled. You understand? I don't have to go any farther than three witnesses, and we have settled this matter. They don't have even one witness that they're interpreting it properly. And I've just given you three that I'm interpreting it properly, and I'm not done yet. So we go now to Acts chapter 19, verse 5. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Tell me how many that makes. We're now at four. That's one more than what's required. I'm telling you, God nailed this thing down. Let's go on. Acts 22, verse 16. And now why tarriest thou? Why tarriest thou? Arise. Arise. Be baptized. Wash, be baptized, away, wash away thy sins. Calling, calling the on the name of not the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but the name of the Lord. And who is our Lord? To us there is but one Lord. And what's his name? Jesus. His 
his name is Jesus. And so how many witnesses do we have now? We got five witnesses. I only have to have two, three really settles the issue, but I've given you five witnesses that you should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'm not finished yet. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul Is Christ divided? divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you, or baptized, were you baptized in the name, in the name of, Paul? of Paul? Let me ask you a question. Do you see that Paul has connected the, the, the name of the one uh, that you use for baptism to the one who was crucified? Do you see that? Paul says, was I the one that was crucified? Were you baptized in my name? Obviously, whoever was crucified, that's the name you get baptized in. So somebody tell me, who was crucified? Jesus. Jesus. So what name do we get baptized in? Jesus. All right, how many do we have now? We're now at six. That's double the number that we have to have to absolutely establish a doctrine. Right. And I'm still not finished. I'm still not finished. Because it's at this point in the seminar that I'll have one of those pastors stand up and I will ask him, do you believe that you can pray a prayer and God will answer that prayer? And inevitably they tell me yes. I then ask them, do you finish that prayer by saying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they say no. Well, how do you close your prayer? They say in the name of Jesus. I ask them why do you use that name? The ultimate answer is. Because there's power in that name. So that's exactly right. So then I asked them the second question. The question is, do you believe in praying for the sick and God healing them? Oh, absolutely, they'll tell me. So when you pray for the sick, do you lay hands on them and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost be healed? They say, no. I said, how do you do it? They said, in the name of Jesus. Why, I ask. They say, because there's power in the name. I then asked them, do you believe in casting out devils? And they say, yes. I said, when you cast out devils, do you say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, come out? And I'm telling you, the whole crowd will roar with laughter. Because they know how ridiculous that is. They said, no. I said, what do you say? They said, we say in the name of Jesus, come out. So why do you use that name? Because there's power in that name. It's at that point that I give them witness number seven, which is Colossians chapter three and verse 17. And it says this. And whatsoever, and whatsoever you do. Whatsoever you do. Not just praying prayers. Not just healing the sick. Not just casting out devils. But whatever you do in word or in deed. Do all. Do all. Everyone say all. All. Do all. Everyone say all. all. Does all include baptism? Yeah. You better believe it does. When he said all, he meant all. He didn't mean stop with prayers. He didn't mean stop with healing. He didn't mean stop with deliverance. He said whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And so how many witnesses do we have now? Takes both. Get it up there where they can see. Isn't that interesting? 
Does anybody know what seven is? It's God's number of perfection or completion. When you find the number seven in the scripture, you know God is talking about something that has been completed. It's been perfected. With each day of creation, God looked down and said, it's good. But by the seventh day, he had looked down and said, it's very good. It was the number of completion. All the work was finished. I'm telling you, this doctrine of being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, this is a completed and perfected doctrine. I've given you seven witnesses. You don't have even one for saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost outside of Matthew 28, 19. That doesn't disprove what Matthew 28, 19. It disproves your interpretation of it. I'm telling you, I'm obeying his words when I baptize people in the only saving name, the name of Jesus. Well, praise God. Amen. Another thing that we do when we teach these seminars is before I ever get up to teach on baptism, we have drilled in them what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24. And I want to, I've only got down to read verse 47, but I really would like to back up and catch some other verses here in Luke 24, uh, just so I can kind of give you a feel for what we do over there. Let's start with verse number 45. Let's start with Luke 24, verse 45. And I want you to see this. Then opened he their understanding. Then opened he, that he is referring to Jesus, there, that word is referring to the disciples or the apostles, understanding that they might understand, that they the, might scriptures. understand the scriptures. I'm telling you, the, the Bible says that Jesus gave his apostles divine understanding. Don't try to tell me they made a mistake. Don't try to tell me they did it wrong. These men had divine understanding of the scripture. If anybody got it right, they got it right. And then we'll skip on down and start telling them what Jesus commanded his disciples to preach. Let's go on. Uh, verse 46, let's, let's start there. And he said unto them, thus it is written. Thus it is written. And thus it behooved Christ to behoove suffer Christ. and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin. All right, sin. stop, stop, stop. So here's we focus on this. Jesus, this is his last meeting with his followers. He is about to ascend into heaven. He knows that from this point forward, the work that's going to be established rests in the hands of these men. I'm telling you, he's not about to let them make a mistake about this. In fact, I, I, I will ask those men in Africa, do any of you own your own business? And if I can find one that does, then I ask him, if you knew you were dying today, You've poured your life into this business, but you knew this was your last day on earth. You don't want your business to fail when you die. You, you, don't want it to, you don't want it to fall apart. You want it to go forward. And so you're going to call your followers, your employees in, maybe somebody in particular that you're going to turn the work over to, and you're going to call them in, and you're going to make sure they understand what they've got to do to continue making this a successful business. It's your last day. 
you, you can't take chances. Now, you're not going to get in that room and just cut up and carry on and laugh and tell a bunch of jokes and waste everybody's time. This is serious business. It's your last meeting with those that are going to carry on your life's work. That's what's going on in Luke 24. Jesus is having his final meeting because you can read the rest of that chapter and see where when he finished this, he ascended into heaven. So this is it. Now, he's going to make sure they know what they're supposed to preach. And he's telling them here, because I want you to look at this, this phrase right here, should be preached. Everybody see that? Amen. Everybody see that? Should be preached. So he is telling them what should be preached going forward. Do we agree? Amen. He's telling them what should be preached going forward. So he tells them, first of all, that repentance. Everyone say repentance. repentance. Repentance should be preached. Right? And remission of sins. Remission of sins should be preached how? In his name. So the second thing is, there's got to be remission of sins in his name. Right? right. This is what he's telling them. Guys, I'm, I'm about to leave. You've got a job to do. And you've got a message to preach. And this is what I want you preaching. I want you preaching repentance. I want you preaching remission of sins in my name. This is all going to start at Jerusalem. Read. Or don't. I'm sorry. Or do. We're at Luke 24, 48. And ye are witnesses of these things. You're witnesses of these things. Verse 49. That's the one that comes after 48. Yeah, there we go. And behold, I send the promise of my Father. And behold, I send what? promise of my father. The promise of my father upon, upon you. But tarry ye tarry in the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem to be endued with power from on high. Now, Jesus made it very clear. He made it very clear. This is what I want you to preach. Does everybody see that? Three things I want you to preach. Preach repentance. Everyone say repentance. Then he said, preach remission of sins in my name. And we'll say remission of sins in his name. And then number three, preach the promise of the Father. Everyone say the promise of the Father. And so I'm telling you that what happened. Let's go to the book of Acts. Now I want you, uh, again, this is not what's in the notes, but I want you to start with Acts 1 verse 12. Let's start there. Acts 1 verse 12. They returned unto Jerusalem. They returned unto where? Jerusalem. Unto where? Jerusalem. Where did Jesus say this preaching had to start? Jerusalem. He said it had to start at Jerusalem. So they're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They went to Jerusalem from the Mount Olivet, which you'll remember, I was about to highlight it on the back wall. You can't see it back there unless you turn it backwards, so let me highlight it up here. From the Mount Olivet, that's the Mount of Ascension. That's the place from which Jesus ascended, uh, went up into heaven, all right? So they left that conversation and did what Jesus told them to do. They went to Jerusalem, all right? Then we get to verse 13. Now notice this. 
And when they were come in, when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. They went room, up to the upper room where abode both Peter and James. Now, please follow this: Peter, James, and John and Andrew. John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas. Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Bartholomew, and, Matthew. and wait a minute, who? Matthew. Who? Matthew. Now let's see. The verse that they want to use to prove their doctrine is found in which gospel? Matthew. Matthew. Do you understand this is the man who wrote that gospel? Matthew was there. So if Matthew wrote that we should use the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and that's what Jesus meant, I ask you today, don't you think Matthew would have said something to Peter and said, whoa, 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 stop. That's not what Jesus said. You heard him as well as I did, Peter. Hey, these guys were not above correcting one another. Right. If you think that they were above correcting one another, you hadn't read the Gospels. I mean, there was a lot of times they were correcting one another or trying to correct one another. Now, they themselves were wrong and they're trying to correct somebody else. This went on throughout the Gospels. Don't you think if Peter said it wrong, Matthew would have corrected him? But Matthew did not correct him. In fact, let me show you what Matthew did. Let's go now to Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. But Peter, standing up with but the 11. But Peter, doing what? Standing up with the 11. Now he's standing up, but somebody else is also standing up. Who else is standing up? Matthew, the 11. Matthew's part of the 11. Matthew was on his feet. Now, I'm going to tell you, at this point in the seminar, when I've been teaching, I've had a number of them that were on their feet, clapping, shouting amen, and so I'll go find one of them. I'll, I'll stand him up in the crowd, and I'll ask him, I saw you a while ago. While I was preaching, you were standing up. Why were you standing up? His response is, because I was being blessed by what you said. Yeah, and because I agreed with what you said. Absolutely. You don't stand up while a preacher's preaching if you disagree. You're standing up because you're in full agreement with what was said. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you, church, that what happened. Let's go now to Acts chapter 2. I don't see that I put this in the notes. It needs to be there. But let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Let's start right there. In Acts 2, Peter has finished preaching. All of the 11 are on their feet. When the people heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, tell us what shall we do? Now comes the moment of decision. Are they going to obey what Jesus told them? Are they going to say what Jesus instructed them to say? He said, preach repentance, remission of sins in his name, and the promise of the Father. And then Peter said unto them, what's the first thing he said? Repent. The first thing Jesus told him to say was repentance. And the first thing Peter said was repent. The second thing Jesus told him to say was remission of sins in his name. And what did Peter say? 
Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And the third thing Jesus told him to preach was the promise of the Father. And Peter said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm here to tell you, Peter preached exactly what Jesus told him to preach. Matthew knew that. That's why Matthew was on his feet. I'm here to proclaim to you the only Bible way to be baptized is in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. baptism is for the remission of sins it's like a check is being written if your check said father son and holy ghost you didn't get to remit that check and your sins were not remitted but if the name was on that check if you went down in the name of Jesus Christ then I'm telling you every sin you committed up to that point was forever wiped away all right, all right, all right, all right. I've got just a couple minutes here very quickly. I'm, I'm already over time, but I've only got a couple minutes, and I'll finish this whole section out. So would you bear with me for just a couple of minutes? I, I, I prefer to stay with the Scripture, but for the sake of those that Scripture uh, doesn't seem to be quite enough, let me just take you through some historical proof of how baptism took place prior to the Catholic Church changing it. Now, that televangelist, um, um, in case you're wondering, his initials were Jimmy Swaggart. Um, that televangelist wrote in his book, uh, the Matthew 28, 19 baptismal formula is abundantly confirmed, he said, by the earliest Christian writings, while the Acts 2.38 formula has no historical support at all. I'm telling you, the man was as dishonest with the scripture as he was with his marriage. Well, I said it. So let me go through this very quickly, and I am, I am quitting. Sister Becca, you can come. The Encyclopedia Britannica says this everywhere in the oldest sources. It is stated that baptism took place in the name of Jesus. The Westminster Dictionary of Church History says the Trinitarian formula did not emerge until the second century. Amen. 200 years after the death of the apostles. The Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible. The evidence of Acts 238, 1048, 816, 19, 5, Supported by Galatians 3.27 and Romans 6 and 3. Suggests that baptism in early Christianity was administered not in the threefold name. But in the name of the Lord Jesus. The New International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says no record of the Trinitarian formula can be discovered in the Acts of the Apostles. The baptisms recorded in the New Testament after the day of Pentecost are administered in the name of Jesus Christ. That this formula was the established usage in the Christian church is proven by records of baptisms among the church fathers. The dictionary of the New Testament says it is maintained that the formula at first ran in the name of the Lord Jesus. Harper's Bible Dictionary says the Trinitarian formula was a late 
addition. Vine's expository dictionary of the New Testament words says the phrase baptizing them in the name would indicate that the baptized one was closely bound to or became the property of the one into whose name he was baptized. Hallelujah. And finally, the theology of the New Testament says there is the fact that from the very beginning, baptism undoubtedly was performed in the name of Jesus. That is with the pronouncing of the name and hence with the invocation of Jesus himself. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to reject the commandment of God so I can keep the traditions of men. But that's what churches are doing today. It is only tradition that causes people to be baptized saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's not history. It's not Bible. It is nothing more or less than tradition. I reject tradition today and I stand upon the truth because when you know the truth, the truth makes you free. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord. Come on, let's love him. Let's love him. Let's love him. Hallelujah. Let's love the Lord. Let's love the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.